0: So we're continuing going through our series, uh, we began a couple of weeks ago, opening up uh, Paul's letter to the church, church in uh, Thessalonica, and uh, I titled the name of this series, Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World. Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World, I titled it that because this young church of converts, right, that Paul goes and visits, uh, they embrace uh, the gospel of Christ, right? They repent of their sin. They turn from their pagan practices and many of the ungodly things that were going on around uh, that area of, of of Thessalonica, and they kind of they 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 pull away from that, and they begin to uh, bring upon the consequences. Of the community, right, and they start to experience some of the the hostility of the world as they are pursuing Christ with a passion uh, and a desire to live pure lives that are holy uh, to God. The authorities, when when Paul had come in preaching the gospel. Um, uh, he was in all the regions of Macedonia, but here is he 's in Thessalonica when uh, the, the the community was being impacted by the gospel. They figured the way the best way to stop this thing is let 's get a hold of Paul and kick him out of town right and but they but they didn 't realize is they kicked. Paul out of the city of Thessalonica, but the Holy Spirit remained within the church in Thessalonica. And as the church in Thessalonica continued to pursue Jesus, the, the impact in that culture started to shift, right? And so what the authorities decide they're going to do is, all right, well, Paul's not here. Let's discredit Paul, right? Let's, let's destroy the messenger, hoping that the message would begin to become questioned by these followers of Jesus. And so they began this this assault against Paul and his teaching. And now Paul is responding back to some of the criticisms. We looked at this last week that were being hurled against him. um, So as to ensure that the church would remember what they've seen and experienced from him and not just embrace this narrative that the authorities were putting out there with the hopes of discrediting uh, the message of Jesus. As we come to chapter 3, we saw that in chapter 2 last week, as we come to chapter 3, Paul's going to affirm three characteristics that are evident within the church of Thessalonica. And we're going to take a look at some of that this morning, and he's going to kind of highlight three things that are pretty consistent that he sees within the church of Thessalonica, and he's going to charge them to, to maintain their focus, to stay on course, right? To not get distracted by the things that are going on around them as they faced many afflictions and and suffering um, for their faith the three characteristics i'll give you a heads up on what they are he sees uh, they are people of faith uh they are people who are operating in love and they are people who are walking in holiness and um when you're people of faith and you're people of love and you're people of, who are walking in holiness, that tends to go against the flow of the world, right? And, and, and as, you're, they, as they were walking against the flow of the world, it was kind of getting away, in the way of the agenda of the world, which was calling the, causing a lot of the hostility uh, that was taking place. So let's turn over to um, the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we'll see... Um, how far we get with this this morning i didn't accomplish nearly as much as i wanted to this morning but i think god accomplished what he needed to and that's so much better than my plan right and so um let's take a look at what paul says in first thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 1 paul says therefore now again let's just remember it real quick So Paul has been kicked out of the city. He's a he is not with the church that he birthed, the church that he loves, right? The church that he's concerned about, right? The church that he's hoping isn't like believing the narratives, the lies that are being said about them, right? And so then Paul writes this in chapter three. He says, Therefore, when we get buried no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and our co-worker, in the gospel of Christ. We sent him to go and establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you would suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could could bear it no longer... I sent to learn about your faith for the fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Remember I mentioned last week that Paul likens himself in chapter 2 to a mother, right, who cares for her children and to a father who who encourages and exhorts, right, and and charges them. We, We see this parental side of Paul that is just so refreshing. And again, you got to just kind of put yourself in, in his perspective, right? Here's his children in Thessalonica, and, and he, he knows what's being said about him and the message. He knows that they are going through times of tremendous affliction and suffering. And he, he can't instant message them, right? He can't check out and see how they're doing on Facebook. He can't call them up on the phone. He has no idea what's going on, how they're responding, what they're believing. It's like a parent being disconnected from their kid when they go off to college. Isn't that a wonderful experience? Right? You're kind of like looking and saying, I wonder what they're doing. Are they eating okay? Are they, are they, you know, are they wearing clean clothes? Or how are they getting by? Right? And so Paul's kind of like, at this point, he's like, listen, when we can bury it no longer. <laughs> I love that. It was driving Paul crazy not knowing what the response of the church was. And he said, when we can bury it no longer, we send Timothy over to you. I mentioned last week that we see Paul's sincere affection for the church in Thessalonica. And to be honest, I think his desire to see them encouraged was coming from a place of needing to be greatly encouraged himself. I mean, Paul was, Paul was, you know, he was the target of the attack, right? Paul was going through times of suffering. Paul was going through affliction. Paul was being disconnected. Paul was thrown out of the city. And I don't care how godly you are and how wonderful you are. When everything is coming at you, one thing after another, you're going to get at a point in time where you're starting to feel a little bit discouraged. And as he's going through his own season of discouragement, perhaps he's starting to worry about the church. Twice, he says in this one section, when I bear it no longer. You ever get that point where you just kind of like, you know, you're just wondering how they doing, how they doing, how they, do? I just can't bury it any longer. I gotta call up, I gotta show up, I gotta do, you know? We got this Life 360 thing. How many of like, you use Life 360 to stalk your kids? Isn't that a great <laughs> tool, right? Like, what do you mean they got home at 1.50 in the morning? What were they doing? Who were they with? Where were they going? How were they driving? I mean, like, you start to, like, too much information is just too much. And what Paul is, he, Paul, like a parent, is like, we couldn't take it any longer, so we, we send Timothy, because i got to get to the bottom line. How's everybody doing? How's has the church making out? But for Paul... Again, Paul was under the microscope. He was in the direct line of fire from many of, of, of his accusers. And, and like I said, I don't care how godly you are. That starts to get very taxing after a while. And so we see Paul twice, concerned. I can take it a little longer. i have got to send Timothy. i got to make sure you're not believing this stuff, that you're still following hard after Jesus, and that's why he writes this letter. And so out of great love and concern for them and out of great cost to himself, right? Because he sends Timothy, I mean Timothy is one of a three-man team, right? So for Paul to to send Timothy. Cost Paul something. I mean, they were, part, they were like the three amigos. They're making big impact. They were depending on each other. They were needing each other, right? But his concern for the church was so great, he got to the point where I couldn't bear it any longer. And so let me send Timothy to you to find out what's the deal. How is everybody going? And notice the, t- the mission that Timothy's on. He said, Timothy, he's coming to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. He's coming to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. You see, the reality is that if we're not established in the word of God, which is what establishes and defines the faith, If we're not established in the word of God, if we're not established in the the community of faith, then afflictions carry with it the potential to move us away from where God would have us to be. I've seen it and so have you. Sat next to them, worshipped alongside them, fellowshiped with them, but then they went through seasons of life where something happened. An affliction was introduced, a trial, a tribulation, whatever it may be. And they weren't established in their faith and just took them out, right? That's why it's so important to make sure that that our, our faith is established not in a person, not in a church, not in an emotion or a feeling, but established in the word of God so that when the winds and the storms blow like that house that Jesus talked about, the house is built on a solid rock that can endure the storms of life. And and Timothy's going there to make sure to establish and exhort them in the faith. It's not like Paul was saying to them, listen, you're not going to go through times of affliction. It wasn't like that's what he said. In fact, it was just the opposite. Look what he says in verse 3. That no one be moved by these afflictions. Look, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. That's what you signed up for. That's going to be your reality. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. So it wasn't like Paul was kind of giving them this easy believism, just come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. Paul didn't establish the church in Thessalonica on the cotton candy Form of truth, right, that tastes real good but dissipates in your mouth very quickly, that just says, just come to Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. Paul's like, no, I told you when I came, you're going to suffer. There's going to be affliction. We are destined for this. You see, the reality is, as people of faith, we're going to go against the flow. That's the reality. You you can't be a disciple of Jesus and walk with the world. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to go against the flow. But let me be really clear. Please listen to this. This is a very important piece. We're going to go against the flow. We're not going against people, though. You see, too many times in our pursuit of going against the flow, we take out everybody who opposes anything, and we go after people we got to be really careful because we lose opportunity to pick up a couple of those people and bring them to Christ. Because we're attacking what they're doing and not realizing that they are, they, they are, they are just acting out in their sin. We're not going against people. We're going against the ungodly thinking and the practices of the day that result. that is as a result of that, we're going to experience a season of suffering and affliction. And so we need to have a proper perspective on what it looks like as we're going against the flow, right? We're not taking out people. Hello? We're casting down arguments and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're going after lies. We're going after the ungodly practices and behaviors and, and the things that, 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 that violate the, the holiness and the awesomeness of God. I reminded you last week of the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, where Jesus said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you also. Yes. Because you're not of the world. I've called you out of the world. Now, we, we, we get that, and we know that up here. But too many times when that reality starts to become our reality... It's kind of like, what happened? Why is everybody upset with me? Why, why, why can't I just live out my faith? Maybe I should be quiet. Maybe I shouldn't you know, disturb things. Maybe I shouldn't. Be, and it's like, no, no, no. This is par for course. As followers of Christ, we go against the flow, not against people. Jesus didn't go against people. Jesus went against the flow and picked up a lot of people along the way, right? Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. First time I ever heard this scripture was when I had, um, had come back to the Lord. It was about 1989. And I was going through a season. It was really difficult. I had, I kind of, I, I, I had left... All the friends I was hanging with, all the, all the lifestyle, the, you know, the partying, and all the stuff that went out. And I just, I went from like the life of the party to hanging out with mom and dad on the weekends, right? And it was kind of like, there was a major shift in my, my life. But God put certain people in my life, some friends that kind of came alongside me. But it was in a season that I was going through a time of just wondering, like, what, why am I going through this so much? And my buddy Clark brought this passage of scripture to me during that season. It was like a, a word spoken from God at a very timely season. It's the first time I ever heard this before, and it was, it, it was back in 1989, and it's 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't we do that, right? Isn't that the first thing? It's like, why me? Why? Why me? Why am I going through this, right? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happen- was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. How many feel blessed when they are insulted for the name of Christ? Yeah. I don't always feel blessed. I've got to be honest with you. My hand is up in church, and I'm saying yes, but I've got to tell you what. That's the last thing going through my mind. That's, the, that's not. I was going to say, that's not the first thing going through my mind, okay? I'll tell you what I want to bless you with. Yeah, I, right? But that's what, that's, that's what the Word of God says. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow. That's powerful right there. Why are you blessed? Because you are being identified with Christ and the spirit of glory and of God, it rests upon you. But not <laughs> look, look. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Interesting here. Do you see what he puts all on the same level of like, you know, with meddling, he puts on the same degree of med- with meddler, those who are murderers, right? He's saying, if you're suffering because you're a murderer, well, thank God, I'm not, I'm not a murderer, right? I'm, not, I'm not an evildoer, or meddler, getting into people's business that has nothing to do with me, by the way, is really what we're talking about, hello. He says, listen, if you're suffering because of that, well then, you're just getting what you deserve. See, too many many times Christians think they're being persecuted because they're being insensitive. They're being thoughtless. They're being uncaring. They're they're presenting truth with no grace whatsoever. And they're hurting people. They're going against people and not lies. Right? You've got to be careful not to do that. And then when they turn against you, you're like, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're 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 being stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? He says, but listen, if anyone suffers for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. But let them glorify God in that name. Hey, if you're if you're gonna be if you're gonna if you're gonna be you know, um if you're gonna suffer Make sure you're suffering because you're making the name of Jesus great, right? Peter reminds us that being a Christian means that there's going to be times that we suffer. Have you had times you've had to suffer? I've got some really good news for you. You've never gone through an affliction or a time of suffering that God didn't allow to come into your life to refine you, to sharpen you. You see, you are not a victim of circumstances. As a child of God, nothing gets to you unless it first gets through God who uses it for his purposes. It might be to correct you. It may be to rebuke you. It may be to sharpen you. It's usually to bring something out of you that does not look like Jesus, right? One of our best tools, one of our best friends can be affliction if we will use it for the glory of God, And Peter reminds us that that being a Christian means that there's going to be times that we suffer. But it's it's never without purpose. God will always use it for his glory. This is something that the Apostle Paul had to learn himself. You remember we read about the Apostle Paul being taken into the third heaven? Incredible experience that the Apostle Paul has, right? He's taken into the third heaven. He's seen things that are so incredible that he's put on restriction. He's not even allowed to speak about it. Would you love to see what he, or know what he saw? Couldn't he possibly pen that? But we're going to see it someday, right? But the apostle Paul sees an incredible display of heaven and God puts him on restriction and, and tells them, tells him that he's not allowed to even speak about it. And God in his grace Brings into Paul's life what Paul will call a thorn in his flesh. A messenger of Satan, he even calls it. That will keep him humble, that will keep his feet on the ground. Lest he become boastful and, and exalted in his own mind. Think, wow, I, went to, I must be something wonderful. God's like, yeah, I don't want you living up there. So in order to keep you humble, he, God's going to bring into your life something that's going to keep your feet on the ground. And Paul doesn't like that, would you? <laughs> and so now Paul has this, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that, that is there. And look what, what, look what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. It says, three, ta- three times I, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Hey, Lord, this really shouldn't be here. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That's a really fancy way of saying no. <laughs> Lord, this should leave me. No, this should leave me. No, this should leave me. No, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to be okay. I, Paul, this is Grace. You see, you hate this thing, but you have no idea how much this is helping you. This is keeping your feet on the ground so I can continue to use you for my purposes in your life. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. you ready? For my power is made perfect in weakness. What weakness? Not God's weakness. In Paul's weakness. You see, that thorn in Paul's Flesh killed something in Paul. We don't know what it is. It's probably good that we don't know what it is because the principle is, 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 is really for every one of us. There are some things that we struggle through that we look and say, man, God, would you please just take this away from me? And we, just, we just don't know why. It just doesn't happen. But God's grace is sufficient for us. And see, when God says to me, "My grace is sufficient for you." Look, but my power, for my power is made perfect. In your weakness. Paul, this thing that you're dealing with, you, you see how weak you feel? You see how dependent upon me that you feel? Do you realize that that what this thing is doing is making you realize how much you need me? Do you realize that this is the very thing that's protecting you from elevating yourself higher than it ought to be? He said, Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I love the change in Paul. He goes from, Lord, take this from me. Lord, take this from me. Lord, take this from me. No, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, I see that. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Lord, I didn't realize that that thing in my life was producing in me the ability to let the power of God rest upon me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm not gonna, in fact, Lord, keep it there. Please don't ever remove this from my life, right? Let me boast in my infirmities. so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look, for the sake of Christ then, look, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You realize what he just said there? He said, I will boast in these infirmities. And then he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I hope there's a day while I still have breath in my lungs that I can say I am content with weaknesses. I pray that there's a day that comes before I stand before the Lord that I can say like Paul said, I am content with insults and hardships and persecutions. I just want to go on record and say, I am not there yet. I'm working on it. But look what Paul says here. Are you content with those things? This is what we're called to. How do you get there? Paul realized something. He said, look, he said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses. You see, here's the thing. What do weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities ultimately do? They kill our pride. They kill that part of us that is inconsistent with the life of Christ that is in us. And to the degree that those things are crucified in our lives is the degree that the life of Christ will be lived out in us. And what Paul is saying is, I understand the secret to the power of God being lived out in my life. It is the dying to myself. He says, I die daily because when I am weak, then I am strong. Maybe you're going through something today that you just think, God, why is this my situation? Sometime God, sometimes God changes it, sometimes he doesn't, but all the times he can change us in the midst of it. If we will allow him to deal with those things that, that reside within our own hearts, God will change us in the process. <laughs> Is Paul crazy? I'll boast in my infirmities? I'm content with these things? No. He understood the power and the secret to the crucified life of Christ being lived out in him. This this was a man who, who wanted to know any and every aspect of the Christ that he loved so deeply. So much so that he not only wanted to experience... The power of Christ's resurrection, but the fellowship of his sufferings. So he writes about in Philippians chapter three. If you have your bibles, you can turn there with me. Philippians chapter three. You see, we need to have a proper perspective on trials and tribulations. They they, they aren't something. <laughs> This is going to go so contrary to what, 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 we, what, we, what we like. They aren't something we ought to run from. They are something we need to run to because as we run to them, we can run through them and we come out the other side different, transformed, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. So here's, here's Paul, right? I mean, Paul's on top of his game as a Pharisee, right? He had, he had reached the pinnacle of his career. He had accomplished so many things. Then he comes to faith and he, he, he knocks it out of the park. He's planting churches. He's writing three quarters of the New Testament. He's brought up into the heavens. He's, he's seen all that. I mean, Paul was a rock star. Paul had, was, the, was the pinnacle of success, if you will. And look what paul says here he says whatever gain i had in philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 whatever gain i had i count as loss for the sake of christ it really doesn't mean anything indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord not just knowing about him but knowing him Knowing him deep. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count those things as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, he knew that wasn't possible, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul says this so profound in verse 10, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's passion and pursuit was the knowledge of Jesus. Again, not just knowing about Jesus, but so knowing his Lord that he experienced him in the power of his resurrection as well as in the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted to literally walk in the moccasins of Jesus to the degree that he was able to do on that side of eternity while he was there. His love for Jesus drove him to want to know everything he possibly could despite how that would impact his life. Do you? Do I? That's the challenge for myself. That's the question. That's, that, that's so much easier to preach than it is to live. When, when, when rubber hits the road and I've got to put this stuff in motion just like you do the question oftentimes will come up that we need to ask ourselves is, how much do I really want to know him? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to sacrifice? How am I willing to arrange my priorities in such a way that I might know him? That was Paul's heart for the church. That's God's heart for the church who inspired this text. This wasn't just written to Philippi. This wasn't just written to Thessalonica. This was written to Integrity Church. This was written to you and to me. That we would pursue him. And Paul's heart for the church at Thessalonica was that they would not allow the trials and the tribulations that that normally come upon a follower of Jesus to move them from their faith in God to see those trials and tribulations as a tool to get closer to God. We, in a time where there's so much garbage being preached about prosperity messages and, and how God just, just wants to bless you and give you what you want and meet your needs and everything's gonna be good. And, and we, we, we need to have a proper perspective, a biblical perspective on trials and tribulations. As Paul said, we're destined for this. This is going to be the reality of the believer. And those prosperity messages really only help the people who are preaching them. Because in the end of the day, when the people walk out the door, they're still going through the same trials and tribulations and whether they're gonna use that to draw closer to Jesus or further from Jesus. And see, that's the problem. The problem is they paint a picture of a walk with God that just is not biblical. And we need to have a proper understanding. Listen, we need to be really, we need to recognize, I mean, many of you, you, you've been in the faith, some of you for a long time. I've been in the faith for a long time. And I've discovered that, that our journey of faith is full of, of mountains and valleys, right? And, I, and I've discovered that I cannot, I would love to, I can't jump from mountaintop to mountaintop. I would love, I love the mountaintop. I pray our kids come home from the mountaintop this up this weekend. I pray that what they experience just, just infuses and encourages and blesses us, right? I want them to. I love the mountaintop. I would camp in the mountaintop if I could. But the problem with the mountaintop is you don't grow on the mountaintop. You don't grow on the mountaintop. And you can't jump from mountaintop to mountaintop. The only way to get from one mountaintop to the other mountaintop is you've got to go through a valley. And it's going through the valley that the character of God is developed in our lives. It's there that, that we start to feel the pain. It's there that we start to feel the, the loneliness. It's there that we start to get down to the core of what this thing called Christianity is all about. And we need to be careful to not talk there and just kind of so dwell in the valley that all we could talk about is the valley and all we see is the valley and all we get overwhelmed about is the valley have you seen them maybe you you've heard them you talk it's all they could talk about how you been well you know it's really under the circumstances it's not been really good i found myself in a valley it's re- you know there was a day i was doing really good but i don't know what happened to god i don't know what you know where 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 did he go i'm not feeling it anymore listen you're just on your, you're just on your way to another mountaintop dig into where you are Allow the valley to do its work in you. And just when you think that you're about to die, God will bring you right back up to another mountaintop. He knows what you need. He knows your frame. But don't miss out on the benefits of the valley. Don't miss out. David said, if I had not been afflicted, I would not sought the Lord. And there's such value in the valley because you know what dies in the Valley? We do. We do. And I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of me that's gotta go. And so we gotta be careful that we don't, you know, have this Eeyore mentality, all right? Well, I'm just going through the Valley, just you know, sitting here all day and see if this Christianity thing works. No. Pick yourself up. Realize that if God puts you in the valley, he he cares enough about you. He loves you enough to want to refine you and change you and transform you and do a work in you. And so he knows it's in the valley that's going to happen and he's investing you in you in the valley. And so while you're going through that, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in your life. And all the while, you're looking and realizing there's a mountaintop on the other side of this valley. And when I get on over to the other side, I'm going to receive and experience the blessing of what God has done in my heart in the valley. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul was a guy who knew what it was to not only be on the valley, in, in, in the mountaintop, but he knew what it was to be in the valley. But he says something I think is very important for us to, in, in, in developing a proper biblical understanding of trials and tribulations and how we need to respond to those things. He says this in verse 7 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I repeat it six times, that way I, I give you time to get there. That's what we're doing, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's, that's the spirit of God in us, right? We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Thank God for that, right? But look, he says, but here's the deal, you ready? We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed, right? We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be man- manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul is painting a very real picture of the Christian journey right here. And he's got such a proper and biblical, biblical because he wrote it, perspective though on how we ought to have. He says, look, he said, we're perplexed. I mean, this stinks, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but man, we're not forsaken, right? We are are struck down, but we're not destroyed. He's like, I'm right. I just want to present the fact I'm going through some things. But look, he says here in verse 14, he says, I write down my present situation is a trial. But verse 14, but I know something. Verse 14 says, knowing this, that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. I reckon I'm going through some things. It's not easy. It's difficult. I'm dying daily, but I know something. In the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of the valley, I know that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. It's not without a purpose. I mean, that was the story of Job, for those who know the story of Job, right? I mean, Job went through a tough time. Job went through things that we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy. He lost his his, his, his kids. He lost his, his wealth. He lost his health. And here he is in sackcloth and ashes in chapter 23 of the book that bears his name, he says, I, I look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and he says, God, I don't see you. Have you ever been to that place in your life where you, you thought, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you knew where I'm at. I, th- I don't see you. But, but Job says this, I look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I don't see you, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. And you see, the the good news is this. You might not see God in your trial. You might not be able to figure out what God is doing. You might not know where he's at, but the good news is he knows where you're at. He knows, and the best trials are the ones that we have to really park all of our emotions to the side and just believe God because we know that our redeemer lives. And you might not see him, but listen, he sees you. You will not be in your trial one day longer than you need to be. Probably won't be in there one day sooner either. But it's going to work. God is using it as a tool in your life to refine you, to shape you, and to mold you. And Paul's concern for the church, and I know I just got to the beginning of the text this morning, but I just really felt like we just want, I just wanted to kind of park here for a moment because there's, there's times where we're, we're going through some stuff. And if we can't apply God's word to our daily, our, our regular life, like what, 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 are we, what are we doing? We need to be hearing what Paul's heart is, is that they, they wouldn't allow the trials to draw them from God, that was his concern, right? But that the trials would draw them closer to God. And what's true for them has got to be true for us. See the trial, see that thing that you wish you can get rid of out of your life. See it as a tool Now, there's there's some things you can get rid of out of your life just because it's the consequence of bad decisions and you just need to repent of those things and that's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that were introduced into your life that you had no control over whatsoever and it is just sucking the life out of you and you can't do anything about it. Then let it be an act of worship and just saying, God, use this to drive me closer to you and not further from you. That was Paul's concern for the church. He knew what he was feeling, but he wanted to make sure that the, the afflictions and the suffering that they were experiencing in the church in Thessalonica was not going to drive them away from God. And next week, we'll have an opportunity to kind of see that their response what their response was, and I'll just fast forward, it was a good response. but I think for you and me today, we gotta gotta remember a couple of things. Your spiritual journey is gonna be full of mountains and valleys. You're either on a mountaintop or you're in a valley on the way to the next mountaintop. But while you're in the valley, let that become the greatest tool to your sanctification. Because God, who is your Father, who loves you, and who knows your frame. Who never arbitrarily puts you into place just to make you hurt. He loves you too much. But it's in those moments that the character of Christ is developed in our lives. And when that season has run its course, you'll find yourself back up on a mountain so you can charge your batteries up for what? Another valley. And what's on the other side of this journey? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher for faith. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how it speaks to each and every one of us. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, those that that might find themselves right now just in the midst of a valley. Something they didn't wish for themselves, something they have no control over, something that keeps them up at night. I pray that the encouraging word from your scripture would, would breathe life to them today. And that they would be reminded that you, while they might not see you, you see them. And Lord, I pray that perseverance would have its perfect work in us. And they'd, we'd grow more and more like the Savior. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for the gentle way in which you care for us for your, as your children. And so I so want encourage you to take a moment and just think about the thing in your life that God may be putting you, in, putting you through And ask yourself the question, is it causing you to depend more on Jesus? Use it as a tool. Hopefully it won't be there forever. But use it as a tool to pursue Christ in your life. Amen.